This is a social journalism for health podcast from the team at Crokey News. Hi, I'm Kate Carrigan. Welcome to Crokey Voices. I acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Aora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being made, and pay my respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. This time, the Federal Government has relaxed a ban on elective surgery imposed in March as part of a public-private hospital agreement to free up precious resources to fight COVID-19, guaranteeing 30,000 additional beds, including those in ICU, and thousands of jobs of private sector medical professionals. The deal has freed up PPE, but there's still concern about relaxing the restrictions too quickly. For some of the communities that are you know, lucky enough not to yet have a positive case, they still need to be prepared. And travel during a pandemic, touching base with a health researcher making his way from Sydney to Darwin to start a new job. There is just no one on the road. And it's almost eerie when you drive through these country towns. It's like um, a bomb's gone off and there's just no one around at all. Negotiations are still underway to finalise the public-private hospital agreement to pool resources, boost critical care beds and ensure COVID-19 doesn't overwhelm our hospital system. While millions of face masks have now arrived, other protective gear has been freed up and infection rates have flattened, some states reporting days when there are zero new cases, there's still concern about easing restrictions with winter approaching. Alison Verhoeven is the Chief Executive of the Australian Healthcare and Hospitals Association. And we've looked effectively at a rough tripling of the number of beds potentially to be available to us if required. And that includes the building of new temporary infrastructure. For example, in Canberra, there is a whole temporary campus being built next to the main Canberra hospital. So there's new beds coming online in these new temporary structures. There's the co-opting of private hospitals into the system. There's a reduction in elective surgeries. And all of that combined puts us in a capacity to be able to respond to that surge demand. And with this new allocation of the resources, you're making sure that there'll be enough ICU beds in the different regional hospitals so there'll there'll be enough capacity throughout the country? Well, I think that um, rural and regional service availability is going to remain a problem for us because... Hospitals aren't just about numbers of beds, they're about workforce, it's about the right workforce and we know that even under normal circumstances rural and regional Australia isn't as well served as metropolitan Australia. So talking about rural and regional, we've had that very concerning outbreak at Burnie in northwest Tasmania which really did highlight some of the weaknesses there. So Will there be enough done now to ensure that there's enough PPE, medicines and ventilators sent out as part of this new agreement and as part of this reallocation of resources? The ability to source PPE is expanding every day. That includes local manufacture, it includes some imports, it includes expanded distribution arrangements and also better management um, around where hotspots are occurring. But again, the reality is there are going to be areas where we are not in control. And what we have to continue to do is be vigilant, but also ensure that we're not just focusing on resource availability, but we're focusing on a workforce which is sustainable. 
So that's a workforce which is healthy, which is able to be committed to, to working. This is a really a multi-pronged response that's required and that's being implemented. And what stage are you up to with the planning for this? Have all of the agreements been finalised? Do you have to go state by state and territory to, to get everything locked in before it actually formally comes into place? Yes, so that is the arrangement as I understand it um, and some of those agreements have been concluded, some are still underway and I guess those agreements also will be refined over time. Alison Verhoven. The Northern Territory has been a success story in containing the virus. It closed its borders early when there was little transmission. Now it's got the lowest rate of infections, no deaths, no community transmission and the lowest rate of tests showing up positive. But it's also home to many of those most at risk, Indigenous Australians, both those in regional centres and those in remote communities. John Patterson, I'm the Chief Executive for the Aboriginal Medical Services Alliance Northern Territory and my ancestral lands are part of the Nullican country and tribe in the Nooka Roper River region, southeast Arnhem Land. John welcomes the agreement, saying it will allow Darwin's public and private hospitals, co-located in the city's northern suburbs, to share staff and resources, enhancing health care for Indigenous communities and all Territorians. Absolutely. That's our shared understanding here in the Northern Territory with the Northern Territory Government and the Aboriginal Community Control Sector. We're all part of the, the Territory Health System. We can't afford to be working in isolation from each other. And that Indigenous Territorians, if they do have to be hospitalised as a result of the virus, then they will certainly get the same care as every other Territorian. I can assure you that AMSAND We'll keep a very close and monitoring view on this to ensure that uh, Aboriginal Territorians do get the appropriate care. Have there been problems in the past with, with Darwin Hospital in relation to care for Indigenous patients? Uh, look, there were concerns that were raised. I think they've been ironed out because we've brought that to the attention of the relevant health ministers and uh, I'm confident that those things have been sorted out now. Uh, we've got more Aboriginal liaison staff on the floors in the hospital and they've got a designated Aboriginal welcome reception area where um, needs and the mission of Aboriginal Territorians are, are done in a culturally appropriate manner and, and being looked after and cared for accordingly. There's only one private hospital in the NT, the one alongside Darwin Hospital. What about boosting facilities elsewhere. Do you think you need maybe military-style field hospitals in places like Alice Springs and other centres in the NT to cope with possible surging numbers of COVID-19 given that the winter months are coming? Sure, look, we should note that there's also uh, capacity at the Palmerston Hospital now and I understand that movement of patients between the two hospitals who uh, make space for those emerging or critical patients. In regards to Alice Springs, there is capacity issues from time to time. If they're looking for more space in Central Australia, then I'm sure the Turner Creek uh, Hospital would have capacity. And so to the uh, the Catherine Regional Hospital, if you've got patients coming in from those regional centres. The um, challenging bit about this whole coronavirus issue is that it's fast moving, it's unpredictable and there's still a lot of unknowns. And John, Indigenous Australians do face significant health challenges. There's higher rates of diabetes and, and chronic illness. Are you concerned that these other health needs aren't being met in this time? 
Sure, Keynes, this has really turned society and, and, you know, the whole way of doing business on its head at the moment. Um, things are going to change as a result of this. What it's exposed is gaps in it, you know, manufacturing, uh, workforce capacity, the under-resourced funding for our Aboriginal community control and Northern Territory government clinics in rural, remote Australia. There needs to be a whole new approach when it comes to uh, not only health, but more importantly, those social determinants of health. All my years in my working career, I've always advocated for the um, need for more housing uh, due to the overcrowding, and that certainly exposed that situation again when people, you know, wanting to return to country and when they do get back there, there's no accommodation. They're just adding to the already overcrowded situation in communities. Some of those providing care in regional and remote areas are members of the Rural Doctors Association of Australia. Peter Rutherford is the CEO. She says the private-public hospital deal has been key to increasing the supply of PPE, gowns and shoe coverings in clinical settings, but she warns stocks need to be handled carefully, saying a breakout of infection at Burnie in Tasmania has raised some key issues. We're very concerned not just about what's happening in North West, but about the preparation for the small rural hospitals. Some of the states have done a fantastic job in relation to preparing, looking at the planning processes, looking at the level of stock within the small hospitals. A lot of the small hospitals across Australia have undertaken planning, have been doing simulation activities with their staff and ordered additional stock supplies of PPE, which are critical because when that first case arrives, you need to know that your systems, your processes are working well, your staff are well drilled, well trained in how to don and doff PPE. We're still not out of the woods and what we do know is if there is an outbreak in some of these small communities, a second wave, I guess, of COVID, we still need to be ready and ensure that not only are rural hospitals rural communities as well prepared as they could be, but also that retrieval capacity is available. One of the strategies, particularly for some of the remote communities, is to participate in early retrieval. If there is a case identified to move that patient out, try to minimise the risk of further community spread, minimise any overwhelming of a small community's health services. So the retrieval capacity, the bed at the end of the retrieval, whether it's an ICU bed or a hospital ward bed, is crucial and that may be something that the private hospitals will be able to help out with. Do you think then that the private system will more be used for the the non-COVID cases, that it's, it's all about increasing the capacity in the public system by freeing up the PPE, freeing up the medicines, but probably concentrating more of the COVID care in the public system and the elective and the other procedures in the private system? Um, I think that's one option, but there may be reasons for a, a private hospital to be, say, a designated COVID hospital if it was required. It's a bit premature in relation to saying who will do exactly what and, and what the situation is. We, we do know that there are a number of private hospitals across Australia that do actually already provide public health services. It'll be a little bit of a case-by-case basis. So I think we just need to be really careful before we open up the system to start elective surgery. Again, we need to ensure that there's an appropriate supply of gowns 
and other items of PPE, reaching not into just general practices in the metropolitan areas, but also in the rural and remote areas. For some of the communities that are you know, lucky enough not to yet have a positive case, they still need to be prepared. Now time to hit the road with a postcard from a man moving interstate for a new job in the time of COVID-19. My name's Chris Russell. I'm a professor of public health. Used to be at Sydney University. Even I'm moving to Darwin to take up a new position with Flinders University and their rural and remote part of their public health school there. I'm travelling across from Sydney through South Australia, through the Northern Territory on my journey up to Darwin. It's been really interesting driving at this time there is just no one on the road. And it's almost eerie when you drive through these country towns. It's just like um, a bomb's gone off and there's just no one around at all. I've stopped for petrol and, you know, you go into the petrol station and you, you wipe your hands and the petrol bowser and keep your distance from the teller. And people aren't quite as friendly as you're used to having in the country. Um, but you can totally understand that, of course, and, um, and, the, and the fear that some people have. I mean, it's a very tough country anyway, so there's really not lots of people. But it just feels strange to be travelling when, when there's no one else. As I was coming up through Cooper Pedy, which is where, of course, they filmed Mad Max, it felt like it was a Mad Max scenario. And I was not exactly Mad Max driving down the road, but it just felt very um, post-apocalyptic. Because I'm a legitimate traveller through South Australia, transiting through, I've been able to stop at a couple of caravan parks and there's been no one else in the park. And now I've driven through and got stopped at the border of South Australia and then stopped at the border again at Northern Territory. I had to fill out some forms and explain where I was going and why I was travelling. They explained that I had to drive through to the next checkpoint. So I went to the next checkpoint and they explained which hotel I was going to be isolated in. I'm staying now at the McCure Hotel in Alice Springs. It's a spacious room. It's going to be my cosy cave for the next couple of weeks. And I've got technology, I've got books and work things to do. There's enough room here to exercise, so that's good. That's something that will be important for me. They gave me a, a, a package as I came in. It had some toiletries. They've got a menu, um, so it's in, server, in the room service. And they've given me a helpline, a welfare number, in case I start to lose it. So it's quite well set up. The person at the reception explained that they've had a number of people who are staying here in self-isolation. So I think it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. And I'll check in with Chris again as he ventures towards Darwin. That's it for Croaky Voices this time around. Remember, if you're enjoying what you hear, please like us, follow and share. And remember to check out all our stories at croaky.org. And think about subscribing for just $60 a year to help fund the health stories we love to bring to you. To finish off, a song for these times, recorded in a backyard session before the pandemic. Maybe you can have a go as well. 